Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. We're back, but we're still not in the studio. That's because it is Thanksgiving week in the U.S., and Paul is actually still in Seattle, and I am just finishing traveling, getting home from our monster road trip. But we did both get to Seattle, and I've already driven home. It's been great. (laughs) Amazing. Guys, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. And yes, we did stop in Seattle, but we can't stop in the Seattle-Tacoma area without swinging by Griot's Garage. And that's exactly what we did. We stopped by to see our friends Richard, Nick, and Philip at Griot's Garage Mm -hmm. and Griot's Motors, respectively, if you have not checked out the website for both, you've got to go to, of course, Griot's Garage for ordering product, mm-hmm. but Griot's Motors yeah. to see what's going on there, and their their expansion is fantastic. They're doing amazing work, and it was really fun to get the tour and just yeah, see these sure. guys. We haven't seen them for over two years because yeah. of <clears throat> things going on in the world, but nevertheless, yes. it was wonderful <laughs> to see them and reconnect, and it was just a little bit of a, a reunion and we do look forward to having all three of them on the podcast in the future. We're looking towards 2022 yeah. already for all of our ideas, but we're definitely looking forward to that. And it's wonderful to see them. So, yeah, it's gonna our be, cars made it. It'll be great to have them back on because here's the crazy thing is that the last time we were really there, you guys probably remember that TV episode. We drove their their Jaguar E-Type and their uh, their Canapa setup uh, 914, which apparently is back at Canapa and in pieces again. But whatever. <laughs> so we drove those two things. I love that and car. And one of the things we marveled at at the time was how much they uh, Richard does interesting kind of tweaks and restorations on his own stuff. Oh, he's yeah. He's got a real talent for it. Absolutely. But what's interesting yeah. is... They've created Griot's Motors to allow that expertise to be focused outward for other people. And so they're doing other restorations now. And, of course, guess what? The paint on all their restorations looks amazing. I know you're not surprised by that. <laughs> right. But they're right. doing all kinds of stuff. And they've got a guy, Forrest, there who's just – Forrest is a genius, frankly. He does amazing work. So they're doing really cool stuff. And it was cool to see them expand and really just embrace the fact that they're good at that, which doesn't seem obvious when you think about Griot's Garage and all their great car care products. You don't think, let's get them to restore my car. Yeah, They're doing right. really interesting work. So it was cool to see the facility and everything they're doing. <laughs> And it was really cool because when we drove up, we drove up to their facility and, and uh, parked our cars right out front. And they came out, and it was all hugs and smiles, and it was just old friends. It was great. Yeah, it was nice. We even got to sit in the ESO Revolta, which is a build that Richard conceived. Mm-hmm. He bought yeah. pretty much a rusting hulk of an old ESO Revolta, but put BMW 2002 taillights on it, did pretty much sheet metal from lower belt line down to the ground, re-sculpted yep. the car, and we got to sit in it. I mean, bird's eye it maple. Was a, I think it's bird's eye maple on the dash. Spectacular car. It won sec- oh second best car of the show in SEMA a little over a year ago. Not this yeah. latest SEMA, but the one prior. And wow, it was just, it was so impressive. So it was really so cool nice. to see it up close outside of the SEMA situation. And it's every bit as awesome for sure. Agreed. Well, guys, we've got TV Season 9 available on Amazon Prime. If you haven't heard yet, mm-hmm. that is available. Please rate and review if you would. Hopefully you love all the episodes and uh, got to, uh, yeah, watch those, share with your family. And I love, uh, we had somebody tweet at us on Twitter about getting their newborn in early. The Lotus episode, did you see this? Was on in the background? Yeah, thir- 13 hours old and was watching his first episode of Everyday Driver, which that is hysterical. And I... I will not. I, he said, "Mom was out of the room." So apparently, this is what happened. <laughs> that you was know, Emmanuel you, you Tavares. Leave? Emmanuel, thank you so much. You you leave a dad for five minutes, and you never know what's <laughs> going to happen. And that's what happened here. But thank you so much for introducing him early. That's really cool. We've got a great couple of card baits for you. We've got Reed D writing to us. He was transitioning from a classic car, and we also heard from Philip Lee. He's out in Hamburg, Germany. He's a doctor in Germany, ICU physician mm-hmm. in Hamburg. And he listens to the podcast every day on his way to and from work. Philip, thank you so wow, much for writing. Cool. We're thrilled to debate some new choices for you. And yeah, uh, we'll get yeah. to that in just a bit. But diving into Reed's email here, who is transitioning from a classic car. And apparently, all of our talk about cars has rebooted his thinking about <laughs> car ownership. We, we okay. do that occasionally. Yes. For the last four years, he's owned a classic that has certainly been a car he's been thrilled to own, he writes. While listening to the car debate and thinking about his car experience, and not just ownership, he's now questioning keeping his 1978 Trans Am 6.6 400 V8 
Shortly mm. after buying it, he upgraded to a four-speed automatic from the original three-speed auto, and he's done you know, some small maintenance items, but he's never been into the major work himself. And he loves driving it, but he finds now he doesn't drive it as much as he'd like as the age and features detract a bit from the use. Definitely mm-hmm. understand there. Okay. Yeah, he's fortunate sure. to work from home. He recently sold the Fiesta ST for a 2017 Mustang GT manual. This is quite a garage you've got going yeah. on. Well, well done, Reed. Well, I mean, Reed, you've got the classic garage. You've got a, a modern Mustang, and you've got a cool old classic, the Trans Am. I mean, people are looking mm-hmm. for those things. He says the Minister of Finance also works close to home. Six-mile trip to work and drives their Ford F-150. But his car debate begins looking to sell the Trans Am. Who is interested in buying a 1978 Trans Am 6.6 <laughs> with the V8? <clears throat> well, I mean, yeah, we're talking about the, the definitive the definitive Smokey and the Bandit car is what we're talking yeah. about. Which is really, really cool. Now, what's crazy about those is that era of American cars had monster engines without the monster power to go with it. <laughs> right. I mean, 400 probably is pretty good, but... But it's still interesting because the thing I find most fascinating about this from you, Reed, is the fact that you are very impressed and you really like it, but ultimately you go, I don't want to drive that car around much. Yeah. And so that, that is the hard part. I mean, if you have one of these classics and it runs really well and you do want to drive it all the time, I love it. But if it just becomes a museum piece, then I'm with you, Reed. We've said it before. Let, let, it's probably time to let it go to somebody else. So you can get something else that you're more prone to drive. Because driving, it's all about it, man. Uh, and that's just it. I mean, there's the classic car ownership. We're experiencing our own classic car ownership with a few dollars being dumped towards our cars. But nevertheless, it's for the experience, and we're, we're gaining that experience. And they're back in our yeah, lives. Yeah. But some people, you know, you think, I want a classic car. But then after you own it, you realize, I guess I don't. I guess I want something else. And I feel like, Reed, that's a little bit where you're at mainly because the car market is so crazy right now, he writes, and he, he thinks he could sell that Trans Am for about $25,000. I don't know the market. I don't know what they're worth, to be honest. And, I mean, that sounds entirely reasonable to me at this point. I mean, maybe I'm warped by the car market. Well, uh, it depends on how nice his is, but at the mm-hmm, same time, it does mm-hmm. suggest that that car... Now, here's the thing. The four-speed <clears throat> auto would make it more usable. Does it make it worth less? I mean, you have all of these debates. Oh, because of originality, I, you mean? Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, you know, the, these are. this is such an icon of a car that if it's in good shape, you should be able to get good money for it. I mean, will you get twenty five grand? Uh, you know the market better than we do. Paul already said that. But I think, I think it seems viable that twenty grand seems legit for that car, for sure. Sure. Oh, okay, all right, I'll see that. But uh, Reed says, with that budget and a manual transmission required for his next mm. car, where might the debate go? He loves manual rear drive. The Miata NC generation is topping his list, but he's looking at S2Ks or second-generation MR2s, of course, mm. Porsche Boxsters and Z3s. By the way, a friend of my dad's, Jim, uh, Jim K, has traded in his SUV and bought a BMW just because he was watching that the eight car video, which I love, we I was just thinking we are fantastically bad influences, aren't we? <laughs> That's yeah. what we do. So that was really great to hear. Uh, so Reed suspects with a lighter, more playful car, the minister will begin greater use of the third mm. car. They the live minister in, of finance driving the fun. I like this. It's great. Right. So they're out in West Michigan with limited access to great driving roads, but even for dailing around town, the Fiesta ST was a great companion. He said. It sounds like it's almost less about the road than you wanting to drive something and giving yourself an excuse to drive it and firing up the Trans Am. is yes. sort of like, all right, that's a bit of an event. Is she going to fire today? Is she going to fire yeah, right yeah. up? You know, and then I, gotta, I, I need to go somewhere. It's not just a stop and go kind of car. I it get also it. sounds like he's got the stressors of I'm taking this thing out and what if. Mm-hmm. And that's, that just paralyzes you as a driver, too. If you've got the what-if going on the whole time. I mean, I, look, candidly, this was our struggle on this big monster road trip we just took. Is we had to both kind of get over the factor of stuff could go wrong. Yeah, right. And, and it could go spectacularly wrong. And we could be standing on the side of the road, but let's go anyway. You know, and, and generally, if you're going to take a road trip, certainly like a big road trip, the last thing you want to even think about once is, could something go wrong? That's why you, you, know, you just take the newest, best thing <laughs> right. possible, that because nothing you should go wrong. <laughs> exactly. Going. So, so you're having that, and I, I get that catch for sure, where you're just like, I, mm, something could happen, mm-hmm. and that prevents you from getting it out of the garage. So, yeah, I, I, mm, okay, keep going. Well, his past cars include 
but are not limited to a 1984 Volvo 240 wagon manual, a 1991 mm. Civic STI manual, 96 Acura Integra with the manual. You're seeing a little... I am seeing a trend. A little trend here. 93 yes. Mercury Capri. I forgot about the Capri, actually. I may, the Capri Turbo with the manual, I no less. might yeah. have blocked that car out of my mind. There it is, yep. <laughs> 2001 Ford Focus manual. Honda Accord International Scout from 1973. It was a Scout mm, 2, actually. That's cool. That's fun. He's had other pickup trucks, other F250 and 150s, and a 1979 Firebird and a 1978 Firebird. The Fire Chicken. Uh, interesting. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I love it. And then, of course, that leads us to the current 2017 Mustang GT manual. He says those are the highlights. And what would we think about, you know, his car choices? But before we do, he says, as for films, he hopes to hear about our take on John Frankenheimer's Ronin. He thinks this might be arguably, with no CG, the greatest car film of all time. I am with you, Reed. That is fantastic. There's multiple car chases. There's not just one amazing car chase. There's multiple. And it's brilliant. The driving is spectacular. I mean, come on. De Niro at his peak... And John Reno and Stellan Skarsgård, mm-hmm. Sean Bean's in there. I mean, just yeah. one of and my Frankenheimer favorite films. was a great, great old school director and really, really good with action. So it's 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 way up there. We've talked about it before. It's way up there for sure. Yeah, when he stands up and fires the shoulder mounted rocket launcher, ah, oh, so cool. <laughs> now a, you want to watch it again, don't you? In a yeah. brown Mercedes. <laughs> It's moving. It's hot. It's fast. It's yeah. so good. If you haven't seen it, Ronan, greatest. Tell me that we're wrong. Tell me that it is not because I, I think it's you're way wrong. up there. It's Nevertheless, way up there. well, Reed, let's mm, let's talk about this. I, I think you know what, man. I think you're right. I mean, a lot of what we end up doing here on this show is is play your car counselor, but also just help you support the, the ideas you're already having. And I think your demeanor toward that Trans Am definitely says it should go. Because if you're not driving it and you just don't think, I want to drive this, even though you like it, then I think it needs to go. Let somebody else drive it. Let someone else worry about it. So you can get something else. And I think that there's a great opportunity here for you to get into something. I love the idea that if you get into the right thing, the Minister of Finance might drive it more and that might lead to more great things. Yeah, right, right. I. I want to go, first off, I want to go through your list. You said an NC Miata. That is the third-gen Miata, kind of the unloved gen, but we're big fans of it. It's got great room. You could get a great third-gen Miata power-retractable hardtop for your money. You'd get a great one. And I think you'd have a great car that the Minister of Finance would like driving. And the great thing about that car is it's just approachable. And I bring that car up first because I want to contrast it with the S2000. The S2000 is an icon of great, not only manual transmissions, but just convertibles. And it's Honda at the top of their game. Mm -hmm. All of those things. But that car's not very approachable. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of the Miata in that regard. In order to enjoy an S2000, you need to drive it very hard, and you need to drive it way up in the rev band. And when you drive something daily, you don't drive it like that. So the S2000 is, I think, the wrong car for you to have as a daily and run errands in and just think this is super fun. The car is super fun, but in that scenario it isn't. Whereas the Miata, I think you'd go get milk in the Miata and both of you would be like, this car is great. (laughs) Milk run. I just like this. Seriously. I just think you'd do the simplest thing on the planet and just be like, this car is just endearing. And I don't think the S2000 would do that. So it's way up there. Are we out of sour cream again? I'll just go get sour cream only. I'm sorry, honey. I forgot that one thing on the list. I'll just go back. Exactly. And then you go back and you get something else and you still forget the one thing and you got to go back. There's a process here. You can make it work. I like the Boxster. The Boxster is also very approachable. The problem with the Boxster is that depending upon how much money you spend, it will probably need something right away. So that's my only caution with the Boxster. I like the MR2. In fact, I love the MR2 Spider. It, it, watch our, our cheap sports car thing. I really, really like that car. But I think compared to the other ones you're talking about, I don't think it's going to pass the Minister of Finance test on probably the interior. It's oh, just, sure. I'd rather be in a Miata or a Boxster than I would the MR2. Yeah, yeah. And the last one on your list that's going to make me find, uh, find something, then I've got, got a crazy wild card. I like the Z3. We've talked the Z3 up a lot because it's nice and raw and all that kind of stuff. But I think for your usage, it's wrong and you go Z4. 
because I think the oh. Z4, nicer interior, feels a little more upscale. It's the Boxster competitor here. I think you would like the Z4 better as a car you just drove around for the heck of it. The Z3 is a little more focused animal, kind of like in the, kind of headed toward the S2000 reasons here, which makes me think the Z4 is the better call because it's more substantial and worthwhile. And then I thought Michigan. Yeah. And wild cards <clears throat> and okay. things that you'll just enjoy driving and be surprised by. And I thought, wait a minute, we can't overlook the Pontiac Solstice or the Saturn Sky. Oh, interesting. Go find one of those in turbo form. And, and really, it comes down to which of the two do you two prefer the styling of? I, I've met plenty of people who are like, oh, the Solstice is so much better. And plenty of others who are like, oh, the Sky, I, I just so prefer that styling. They're the same car in a different suit. Which one do you prefer? They're both very affordable. They're good old American brands, and they are superb to drive. And the way you're going to use them, I think you guys would just love those cars. So I feel strongly about those as a wild card. Hmm. I'm wondering about selling even more cars, Reed. Hmm. I'm okay. looking here at your 2017 Mustang GT manual. Uh-huh. Good car. Like yep. it. It's fun. Yep. Is it your baby? Is it? Mm -hmm. Are you all about it? Is it the one you really, really love and want and you just Ooh. love it? Or should you be looking at selling both the 78 Trans Am and your Mustang GT? Look at you. Now you're finding money as you are wont to do. I you're very good at this, Paul. I am finding money. Because you're very good at this, Paul. <laughs> well, you've got the F-150, whether, uh -huh. you know, wh whatever you need a yeah, pickup truck for. Yeah, for sure. You got it. Fine. Keep mm -hmm. it. But I'm not hearing backflips. I'm not hearing love, undying yeah. odes to the Mustang. I'm just hearing that you have one. Mm-hmm. What if you sold it, That's Reed? good. What if? Just entertain the thought for a minute. If you sold two cars, freed up some more cash, and now mm. you're really crafting your garage. Could this happen? I see. I love your choices. I love, Todd, that you went through them, and I, I think you're absolutely spot on. The Z4 is probably a bit better, and for twenty five grand, you can spend half that and get an amazing Z4. So get a great one, and and it would they be, haven't got it. It would it, it would feel like a luxury car. Yeah, when they're not when they're doing <clears throat> something slow, which the Z3 doesn't. Mm -hmm. But then when you actually have a fun day, you're going to love that car. Yeah, I'm anyway, wondering yeah, about. Yeah, go on. Some, you know, less expensive Miata. If you can find an NC and that's the shared third car and you can both be into it. Uh, but I've, I thought about Mini Coopers. I'm just going to dive right in. Reed, okay. I thought about Mini Coopers Please, for yeah. you because you've had a variety of front-wheel drive cars that you loved. You've loved the Fiesta ST. Brand new Mini Coopers are just a riot. They're just a riot. They're so they much fun. Good, yeah. So are Velocity ends. But mm -hmm. they're also front-wheel drive. Not that that's a bad thing, mm -hmm. but yeah. they're, you've kind of had that platform, even though they're, they're, like I said, they're just a delight. They're fun. They're, they scamper. And I am going to wave the flag for the GR86. I am going to oh, sell you, you one. Wow. All right. Whether or not it's the third car or it's your car and you traded in a Mustang and you got an even smaller little GT car with a manual, read, this car cannot be ignored. It is so mm. much fun, so good, that I'm wondering if you would ever go back to a Mustang, just because Whoa. they're large. I mean, the five lead, okay, V8, manual, rah, yeah. got it, I, I, sure. But what, <laughs> once you experience that car, and like, like you know me, I've never waved the flag for the first generation. I've never said, come on mm -hmm. this way, we're going streaking through the quad, follow me, this is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Turn around. Oh gosh. Nobody yeah. would be behind me. Nevertheless, I've never been, you know, a big the biggest fan of that car. But the second generation, yeah. whoo hoo boy. I think we're gonna sell a lot of them. And yeah, we're gonna talk about them a lot, but we're gonna talk about the, you know, the various aspects as they apply here because I'm not hearing again some something Mustang. Mm. And I mm -hmm. think you could go I think you could go BMW here, Reed. I think that's Ooh. now a consideration Ooh. for Maybe you get a 240i or a 230i, brand new one, and then you mm -hmm. get a cheap Miata for the two of you. And then, ooh, you walk outside in the morning, you're going to be fighting over the two sports cars. But it's choices. I love that. The good news yeah. is you have two sports cars. Maybe the yeah, truck okay. will start setting. All right. 
Interesting. Just putting this okay, out there. Good. Used M2s, used 235s, brand new 240s, because we know the car market at this point, buying new might actually make more sense, depending on your budget. Mm. But if you freed some yeah. cash up, you're working with something now. What if you could own a BMW? What if? You, what if? Entertain that Interesting. thought. Could okay. you let yourself go? Because I've seen a lot of Ford trucks in here in your ownership. A lot of Fords. It's almost like, you know, you, you, you feel like you're required to have Ford or GM. <laughs> I want to free Living you in of Michigan. that. Yep. Okay. I do. Good. What if you had this tasty garage with a new BMW 240 in manual and, you know, a cool Miata over here or a Z4 or something like that? And you went, whoo, you know, we're all German, something like that. I'm just generating ideas because I could say, yeah, go with $25,000, I'll bump that up and, you know, let's make it 30 and then go get yourself a GR86 because the end. But I do like your other choices that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. But you're, we're feeding the disease. And if we're going to do this, <laughs> I think you've yeah. owned that Mustang GT just about long enough. And mm. it's time for more nimble in your life. So consider that. I, I'm not deciding on a definitive car for you. I'm just deciding on getting rid of both, which will yeah. free your mind. I, I like the curating the whole garage idea. I, I see that because the F-150 has got that, that whole need locked. It's locked. And then there's, there's all kinds of wiggle room. That's very interesting. And then, boy, does that open up your thinking. Because I don't see you going to a sedan. I don't see you doing some hot sedan or something like that. Yeah, but I yeah. do see the ability to have something newer. Like like I said, some you know, BMW Coupe, something really juicy and awesome. That's the go-to. But, mm-hmm. oh, it's such a great day. Honey, I'm going to force you to take the BMW. Darn it. You're going to have to take <laughs> this awesome car because I'm taking the Miata or the Z4 or something like sure. that. You know? That's funny. Can I love it. That's good. imagine that scenario? But the good news is, like I keep saying You've got two cars to choose from, like actual yeah, sports cars. And then when you don't feel like driving a thing, got errands to run, take the truck. Look at you. I like that. That's good. My Garage is a virtual home for automotive enthusiasts where you can show off your cars and tell their stories. Inside the community, you can check out thousands of cool cars and like and comment and follow and share all your favorites. Plus, you can park everything you need in one place. Use My Garage to manage important details, photos, records, and more. There's never been a better way to virtually enjoy your ride. So customize your own garage, explore others' garages like ours, and join in on the conversation at haggerty.com slash mygarage. We're back with Hamburg, Germany writing to us, an ICU doctor from Hamburg. It's Philip writing to us, and he says he is looking to trade out because he is 30 years old. He says he's only about 5 feet 8, so he's not worried about space. Good for you, man, because we worry about space and everything. <laughs> right, <laughs> Random right. side note, I'm cu- I was cutting a piece for this season. And I and I pulled my wife in because one of the one of the episodes has got a Jaguar E Type in it, and there was this really pretty shot of the E Type, and there was nobody else around to show it to her. I was like, "Babe, you need to see this. It's awesome. Look at this shot." And I bring her in, and she watches it. It's like ten seconds worth of footage. She watches it. And she goes, "She's like, yeah, that's really pretty." And I'm like, "What?" She goes, "You're huge." <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm just sticking out of this car. So, anyway, so yeah, Philip, pretty much Philip, doesn't, Philip doesn't have that problem. And he currently has an R56 that's later than the one I had, an R56 Mini Cooper Automatic. And here's where the problems start. Because he lowered it. He swapped out all the chrome bit to black bits. He put on triple-spoke wheels. He did a lot of things to make it more appealing. And guess what's happened? It's too harsh. He now has a car doesn't that he really likes. It. But he doesn't love it. It's yeah. his. He's made it his, but it's very harsh on long distances. It gets very uncomfortable. He doesn't hate it. He loves the size. He loves the chuckability. All the things that are great about a Mini. But the problem is he, he tweaked it, and now it's not right, and he just doesn't love it. And so this is where the debate begins. <laughs> this is really good. He's always dreamt of owning a sports car or two. And he wants to it. realize this dream as the chip shortage nears its end, we think, we hope. We hope so, yeah. little backstory here, though. He says, in Germany, physicians do not earn much under tariff conditions. Plus, there's okay. a lot of taxes on the car itself, gasoline and emissions laws. And so in the end, his budget should be stretched to about 45,000 euro, which is uh, this exchange rate is about 50,000 US dollars. With his budget, he doesn't consider German brands. And that's okay, mm. even though that, you know, record scratch, screech, what? You're yeah. in Germany yeah, yeah. and you're not considering those brands. It's the same thing as Reed. You're living in, you know, in Michigan, near Detroit, 
and you're yeah, not yeah. driving, you know, one of the big three, whoa, you know, but that's no longer a thing. It's it's not necessary just by virtue of the state or country or city that you mm-hmm. live in. You choose what is good for you. He also says upkeep costs are also most likely something he cannot afford over the long run. He also loves American muscle cars with their engines. Phil, would you like to buy a 1978 Trans Am and ship it to Germany? Just, just asking. <laughs> That's put, a terrifying prospect. Yeah. Putting that out there. He says they're quite rare. Yeah. But he says also one liter of gasoline costs about $1.85 euro, which is about seven U.S. dollars per gallon. And so mm. affording thirsty cars is not so simple. And then yeah. so those kind of vehicles are extra heavily taxed due to their emissions. Yay. Now, his wife does not know how to drive manual, whereas he does, okay. but he's not experienced having only driven rental manuals. Got it. Right now, he's experiencing some fear of missing out with the current shift to electromobility. These run on electricity. And the reputation Ooh. of manual sports cars, he says, that reputation, that's the true driver, driver experience. Isn't that the case? If you don't have a manual, you're not a real enthusiast. You're, you're According to the internet. Not real. You're just According to people it. who have yeah. more keyboard than they do manual transmissions yeah, in their life, right. too. That's also the case, yeah. <clears throat> However, he's never owned a car with paddle shifters. So he is hyped about that GR86. He'd like to know how essential should it be to get it with a manual transmission or how much worse is that car with an automatic? And Todd, you and I have never really talked about sports cars with automatic. I mean, the assumption is there, but the assumption exists because it's pretty much true. You want an engaging manual sports cars. The yeah, fact that yeah. new ones are few and far between and the fact that manufacturers are still supporting that, that's wonderful news. Yes, we like it. But what about sports cars with automatics? Should you? Mm-hmm. Could you? How are mm-hmm. they? That's what Phil's asking. Yeah, for sure. He's also admitting he would feel bad about excluding his wife from driving, even though she's not as passionate about cars. But what if you had something, Phil, where you discover something? I'm not saying, you know, you push her over the edge and suddenly she's, you know, out there wrenching. Honey, something. It's midnight. I don't know. Come to bed. Stop working <laughs> on the car. Exactly. <laughs> not you were working or doing anything else. And yeah. Why, why are you wrenching? I, I think it'd be cool. I'd love that, actually. But, you know. That's funny. Yeah. Now, he's quite hyped about this GR86, but he also loves the styling of the A90 Supra. Doesn't mm. even mind the two-liter at all. Okay. I think that's good. Now, he's always loved BMW as well and their mentality of creating driving-focused vehicles, although, well, I think they still are, to, to a point. He just doesn't but like so, their price. Some of them, yeah. Yeah, some of them are still driver-focused, but many of them are not, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. So... Let's see, what should he consider? Oh, he doesn't mind that Zupra bad-mouthing, even though it, that's just people thinking they're super clever. It's, it's funny, it's funny, but, you know, the BMW But the fact, that the, the fact that the Supra's a BMW underneath, in, in his case, Phil's actually like, I see that as a bonus, which is interesting because he, he originally walks away from German cars as, as an option, but the, the German car that's actually a Toyota, he's okay with which I find fascinating. Yeah, but right. But that's good. It's right. really good. He'd go for the 3.0 Supra, but he says those used car prices are just too inflated. So the options he's considering where he would love to hear our opinions are as follows. Step one, does he keep the Mini and get a manual GR86 and get over the fact that he's excluding his wife? Mm, okay. Step two, replace the Mini with an automatic GR86 and save the money, use it to modify more just suspension or more than just suspension and wheels. Should he, step three, sell the Mini and get a Supra to save money or just even blow out the budget and get the 3.0? Step four, keep the Mini and buy the Supra as he understands the Supra being less ideal but only in daily driving in comparison to the GR86. Or finally, should he sell the Mini, buy an 86 automatic or a Supra 2.0, and save money to later buy a manual Miata mm. as his own manual, you know, fun car, fear of missing out, without excluding his wife from the sports car experience, which means now you've got a two sports car garage like Reed. Love this. Okay. He hopes she turns more car enthusiastic after owning and driving a sports car, and maybe so. That would mm-hmm. be fantastic. Possibly. Phil, thanks for writing. Really appreciate it. He wants to know our opinion. I say, what can we do to help Phil out? Well, Phil, first off, I'm going to start here with the GR86 and say we drove the auto at the press launch. 
Now, we had a manual for a recent piece against the, the MX-5, but we drove the auto on the press launch, and we drove the manual on the press launch. We both drove both on the track. We drove the auto for our street review, and you can actually find that on the Test Drive channel and the main channel. We've got reviews of both of those. So the big thing I want to tell you about the auto in that car, similar to how it was in the first gen, is that auto is perfectly fine. There's nothing really catastrophically wrong with it. I would not want it on a track. I did not like it on the track. Mm-hmm. I sound like I'm doing a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> Sam, I am. But, exactly. <laughs> I will not drive but, it on a track. I will not drive it. <laughs> but uh, the thing about it is, outside of being on a track, if you're not a person who necessarily needs or wants a manual and you're mainly using it as a commute device, I think you'd be perfectly happy with that auto. And it would make it incredibly accessible for your wife. I don't think a GR86 in auto is a bad choice for you at all. So, and it really depends on what you're looking for. I, I don't know that that's my answer for you, but I do like the GR86 Auto for your purposes because the key thing is if that is an actual six-speed automatic. That is not a CVT. It's not some weird, terrible transmission. It's a perfectly acceptable six-speed that happens to be connected to paddles. So I think that would be good. What I find fascinating is that you are interested in the Supra. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the German exception to your rule which I find very intriguing. I think the answer for you actually is to sell the Mini because the thing about keeping the Mini in your scenario is I don't think you're ever going to drive it. If you keep it and get something else you're using as a daily, you're not a guy that goes to the track. You're not a guy that it sounds like like seeks out roads all the time because your Mini, I have to put the <clears throat> Mini on this road. So if you get a car you like driving as a daily that feels sporty, I don't think you're ever going to drive that Mini. So, hmm. and, and you don't like taking long trips in it. So I, I don't know what its purpose is anymore. So I think you must sell the Mini. I think you look seriously at the Supra 2.0. Save yourself the gas mileage. That is a nicer place to be than the 86. Now, it's not as usable as the 86. What you haven't told us here is what kind of car usability needs do you have? Right. That might be the reason the 86 wins over the Supra. But if the 86 meets your car usability needs, nicer interior, nicer seats, better cabin than the 86. So I think if you're sitting in it as a commute device, you would enjoy being in the Supra more, as long as you don't have a lot of stuff you need to carry. I think you and your wife would both enjoy that car. Because it's the two-liter, you're going to save a little bit on not only price getting in, but also gas mileage. I think sell the Mini, get yourself a Supra 2.0 in auto, because obviously it's all that comes in. That's an excellent auto transmission, good paddles. That's a very good one. Then down the line, you start shopping Miatas. You have a Supra in the garage. Your wife likes it. You start shopping Miatas. Then you can go as small and old as you want. You Mm -hmm. could go in NA, maybe. You could go with like a very early Miata and really embrace what's great about them. You get all the chuckability of your Mini, but you get it focused back to being a manual. And I also wonder, if your wife's comfortable driving the Supra, she might want to learn how to drive on a manual Miata after you get really comfortable. But it also makes that Miata this little occasion, little fun, little fun car in a way that I don't think keeping the Mini ever would be. So my vision for you is you buy a Supra 2.0 as soon as you unload the Mini. You guys both enjoy that Supra 2.0. And down the line, you buy a Miata just for manual transmission, two-seater fun. I'm floored. That is fantastic. Phil, I'm in full agreement. I mean, many times we agree, but it's rare when we're just spot on in agreement because mm. I'm, I'm a maybe for you on the, on the 86. I'm not seeing it as the first choice. It's, a, you know, for you, kind of for what I'm getting your needs. I think it's a maybe, but the Supra and the 2.0 also will help with fuel mileage. Exactly. Because yep. that's very much what you're concerned about up here. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think you're, you like BMWs. You like German cars. You're a little bit like, ah, I'm not quite sure, but what if it were wearing a Toyota badge? Because that BMW engine, Toyota told us, has passed all of Toyota's testing requirements. Mm-hmm. If and that's that, the and case, Toyota's going to have to back it. They're going to have to support the warranty and all of that. On exactly. Days. Exactly. Let's be so honest. You're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting that mm-hmm. glorious BMW feel and the interior. Mm-hmm. You're in the two liter. You're getting that four cylinder BMW engine, but it's mm-hmm. backed by Toyota. And yep. oh, I think a doctor needs to drive a Supra. I mean, styling. Let's talk about styling. Rolling yeah. in that yeah. thing. If you get the two liter in yellow, ooh. Ooh, yeah, that's 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 a call. That is Love hotness it. right there. But then you can tell the story, Phil, about look. 
it wasn't as much as you think. It looks like more car. And mm. I loved the two liter because you open the hood and it is truly a front mid-engine car. Use your eyeballs. Look at it. Draw a yeah, dotted yeah, line yeah. with your eye through the front axle. Mm-hmm. The balance of that car is slightly better than the three liter. I love the three liter. It's got the yeah. power. If you're bombing Autobahn mm-hmm. runs, I get it. Makes sense. But that two liter could be the ticket for you because, yeah, it fits that. I, I like German cars thing for you, backed by Toyota. It does mm-hmm. the two liter thing because of fuel mileage, and you'll you know you'll hopefully pay less gas uh, gas yep. money there. And it's just gorgeous. And it's just, like Todd said, a comfortable, more luxurious place to be for those road trips. And that leaves you open for that future manual, hardcore, fun-to-drive car. Mm -hmm. If your wife is interested, and and that's the best part, is you you get to include your wife. And she has the option at this point. She gets to experience that Supra and enjoy it. And what if she's totally into it? And maybe she stops there and says, I love sports cars, but I I want the dual clutch or an automatic. Great. You've got your fun, crazy, little, hardcore, rattly, stiff sports car over here. <laughs> sure, yeah. And yeah, you yeah. can drive that whenever. You know, maybe she's slightly interested and entertains it, but the Supra feels like a luxury car. It feels very high-end. And it for does. that budget, you can easily grab one. I say go for that Supra. It is so brilliant. And, Phil, you are proving the reason for Toyota to build both models because everybody's mm. asking, mm. You've got the GR86 now. It's a true GR car. Why should the Supra stick around? I mean, it solves everything, right? Well, not really. There is a market, and Phil, you are it. Mm, That's good. I like it. We did agree. Look at us. That's craziness. (laughs) I mean, rather than waiting for the new Z car, we know and think it's going to be pretty good, but that's speculation. We can't say, yeah, this is going to really fit your needs. At this podcast recording, we don't know yet if Toyota is going to bring a manual in the Supra. And even if they did... I still don't think that car would be right for your needs because you're mm-hmm. talking about, yeah, maybe I want something a little bit more hardcore. You can drive the Supra whenever. We don't know what your wife drives, but I love you including your wife in this journey with you. For sure, yeah. And I think you're going to forget that it's an automatic. You're going to be so delighted with the Supra. They're so cool. They look great. They drive well. It feels like that German engineering, and they're fast. They're great. Phil, keep us posted. Really appreciate your writing to us. If you've got your own car debate, like Phil, like Reed, please write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the website where we've got two YouTube channels. You can find that second tab over. But on the far right, under the About tab, there's the Contact button, and those emails syndicate to the same place. We love hearing from you guys and love, love it when you drop us a line. Hey, I'm thinking of you guys. I saw this ad. I saw this article. We're hearing from you constantly. And write us your car conclusions, too. My friend Paul tells me I'm always supposed to wash a car in a cool, shady spot. I don't always do that well, but I do use the Brilliant Finish Foaming Sprayer, or actually I use the Boss Foam Cannon from Griot's Garage. You have to use this. It's awesome. If you're a person like me who's not good at this, it makes it far easier. You create a high foam blizzard right in your driveway with little to no work, which I really like. You avoid wash-induced scratches. It is the safest way to wash your car. Try the Griot's Garage Foaming System Complete Kit today and see what the foam is all about. Griot's also has a full ceramic family of products, including Speedshine, Wash & Coat, and 3-in-1 Wax. All Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all liquid products are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Onward to questions you guys have shown up as always. Thank you for that. We hope you had a happy Thanksgiving if you're in the U.S. Happy Friday to you. We hope you got to see family. We may still be just enjoying a day off, and we hope that you are. And uh, we certainly had a crazy last week, and we're right back in the thick of it, and we're glad to be talking to you guys. I want to start right here with uh, T. No says, Thoughts on Dodge announcing the end of the Charger Challenger in 2023 for an electric shift. We knew this was coming. I forget what the the funny, you know, we're making, getting a charge out of it, ridiculous marketing that they had about it. But you've said it forever, Paul, and I'm going to back it up right here. And that is, in you, if you have a seven to 800 horsepower gasoline motor, and the next thing you have to make is another generation that has to have more power than that, you go electric. <laughs> of course you do. And of and also, the, Dodge has said that the other issue is the fact that the, the fines for those engines are going to exceed what makes sense for continuing to make them. So get the Hellcats while they're hot, folks. So that, that's, they are still going to be around for a couple years yet. 
And I'm sure that Dodge will figure out how to make 45 other little special editions of those Hellcat motors, you know, Hellcat wearing a beanie. I don't know which way we go here, but there's going to be a lot of other special editions between now and when they're done. But Paul called it years ago that Dodge's next step was electric. They're going to go electric, and they're going to have they're going to lean further into this crazy horsepower thing. They're just going to do it with electric, and I'm not surprised. James Lang writes to us in regards to classic car replicas and asks us if we've read about Jaguar taking a Scandinavian enthusiast to court over their construction of a Jaguar C-type replica. In the Australian mm. Jaguar magazine editorial, they called this a mean-spirited, symbolic defecation on those people who <laughs> love their Jags. Wow. And it would only hurt Jaguar's brand image. And James hopes other manufacturers do not follow suit. Yes, possibly. And I love that people create classic car replicas, and I love that people mm-hmm. want to do this. However, if you dig into the story just a little bit, this gentleman, Carl Magnuson, known as Mr. Jaguar, didn't just build one. He spent nine years building this car, but it was with the intent of building six of them to sell. Ah. He also, this concern, he had a good relationship with the managers at the Jaguar Land Rover Classic Center and went to them only after the car had been built, after his replica had been built. I don't get the idea. I could be wrong. I don't get the idea that he let them know or let them in on the whole plan from the beginning. He just said, surprise, here it is. And mm. yes, he's a devoted supporter of the model and rented out his cars to, you know, just like you would with Haggerty Driveshare. You know, you give, uh, give the cars sure, out, yeah, and, yeah. you know, weddings and that kind of thing. Or you just, people want to drive it. But he said it, it was a surprise because they had such a good relationship with Jaguar but he says, oh, this must be the first car in history history to be copyrighted. But this is a law supposed to protect art. So he says taking a car all that way to copyright form, that's quite a stretch. But Jaguar disagrees because Jaguar is building C-type replicas themselves. And of mm. anybody, do you want to buy a replica from a manufacturer? Now, they're going to be stupid expensive and none of us can afford it and they're only going to collectors and then they'll sit in private garages but nevertheless do you want those replicas to be poorly built now you might be asking the question about shelby though how do shelby cobras exist and there are some not that great replicas the issue is very much different and it's very unique because the initial question is who is the source of a shelby cobra design where Shelby appears to be the designer of the car and Ford is the producer. So source equals producer. However, Mm. Carroll Shelby, if he's able to prove the source of the Cobra, meaning he is the producer, then he can say, you know, that is indeed my car and sort of win that over Ford. But he could not. He could not prove that he was the source of the Cobra. And so this PricewaterhouseCoopers person, she went out, Dr. Jessica Polner, she went out, she's a statistician, and asked sports car hobbyists at an industry trade show and says, as a survey, when you think of Cobra, Shelby Cobra, and Ford Shelby Cobra, what, you know, I show you this photo, over 50% of the people said, yeah, that, that's Shelby. But she unfortunately grouped responses into one Shelby category and assumed that was the answer. So therefore, the court had no weight on her, uh, her response, her, her uh, survey, hmm. as the secondary meaning argument. And so therefore, Shelby is unable to establish that the Cobra shape is distinctive, and therefore his dilution claims, meaning dilution of market share, that failed yeah. as a matter of law. So a trademark can be distinctive without being famous, but it cannot be famous without being distinctive. <laughs> wow, you're down in the weeds, man. <laughs> now, that just means the thing will it will be ongoing, but only with Cobras, with Shelby Cobras. Think about it. How many other manufacturers are there? Just, you know, people building replicas. There's maybe a few, but not many, to be honest, that are building the exact replica of some classic car. It's usually the manufacturer. Aston Martin is doing this. Bentley is doing, you know, continuation cars. And Shelby themselves were doing continuation cars. They're a unique case. And James, in this case, I hate to say it, but 
even though it seems like, yeah, Jaguar's kind of pooping on all of us enthusiasts, that's known as a Jaguar. And their brand mm-hmm. will be hurt worse if you get a hold of this car and people, well, this is not a Jaguar. This is not up to Jaguar standards. You know, look what a <laughs> crappy build this is. Maybe it's not. But it, for them to have no say and no control over that, that's, that's tough for car manufacturers to swallow. I don't think they will. Ultimately, it's an IP issue. It's an intellectual property issue. And you yes. can carry this on to all kinds of things. I mean, the, the, big, the big line here is the fact that he's offering them for sale to other people in the public. Right. If he had built one and took it to every car show on the planet and, and said, look his. at my Type C, right. I bet you Jaguar would have embraced him with open arms and even, even given him PR help. Sure. But the minute you start selling something that is someone else's design... Look, I'll go to film for a second. You can be a fanboy and you can make yourself a Star Wars fan film. Mm. And you can make a fan film, uh, you know, a short film or a feature film that is Star Wars content and you can put it everywhere you want and that's all fine and good and you can put it at a thousand festivals. But the minute you decide you want to release that in a bunch of theaters, I promise you somebody from Disney is going to knock on the door. Right, right. So it, it's, it's an intellectual property thing, and making money off of somebody else's idea is, is something that can wind up in court in all kinds of areas, and I'm not surprised that it wound up in court here. I mean, either. this does. It sounds like a uh, you know, mean kind of thing, and I suppose so, but from Jaguar's perspective or any other car manu- manufacturer's perspective, what if... Every car company just left that alone, and people started building all these replicas of everything. Shelby Cobra, it does exist. There's there's many different levels of craftsmanship yeah. on Cobras. There's many replicas of the you know different companies doing that. But that's why I mention that because it's a unique case. Yeah, but replicas for, as a as an individual isn't a big deal. Replicas as a business. Is a is an IP problem for sure. It is, and apply that. Just think of cars as big, expensive products because that's what they are. Yeah, we think of cars as you know something more, but really they're just products. They're complicated, and they have lots of moving parts, but they are a product. So think of other products. If you started knocking off some other product, whatever it is, a furniture yeah. piece yeah. or a toothbrush mm-hmm. or a something, and you started selling it for profit, that company is going to say. <clears throat> Hi. Uh, <laughs> Hello. Like a word, please. And yeah. what is your intention? I think if this gentleman were to have approached them first, and like you said, I'm building one. Hey, cool. All right. Yeah. Love it. Good job. You built one. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah. for you. Fine. But to now kind of go into business doing that, it's just, I hate to say it, but that's just kind of how things are working and like like any product would. So it's it's a bummer. I agree. But... I'd almost rather have car manufacturers kind of step up and see the market for doing that and produce, you know, pull out the tooling, pull out the molds. Let's do it. Sure. Let's make sure. some more. Well, but, uh, you know, I'll go this far. Singer is almost making their own cars. Mm-hmm. But a couple times they've gone far enough that Porsche has gone, okay, stop it. And they're very and, careful to say this is, mm-hmm. you know, a 911 reimagined by Singer. That is the official name of the car. It's yep. not a Singer yep. 911, even though that's what we all call it. And then they did a like a rally. I forget what they called it. They did a rally car, and they were referring to it as like the Rally 911. And that's when Porsche stepped up and went, "Excuse us, uh-huh. but yeah. you can't." Which you know was Porsche being mean, maybe. But it, it's all man. IP is such such a difficult thing. It is. Paul Cavanaugh on Facebook says, "Has the Hyundai Equus finally come into its own? It's a 400 horsepower luxury sedan that was overpriced for a Hyundai at the time, but not quite up to Genesis standards." Now that they're low mileage and available for tw- mid 20k, is this a car we'd recommend? Paul, it's going to depend on how those cars have aged, and I have not been in one since they were new. So if you get in it and all of the parts still feel well screwed together, and it's not something where you're just like, "Wow, this just did not age well," I'll give you a weird example. For all of the problems I had with my Volkswagen Phaeton, you still got in it, and it felt like a luxury car. Hmm. When you closed the doors, when you felt the textures, when you just saw the way things were put together, in spite of the stuff that was constantly going wrong in my $5,000 version, it always felt like a luxury car. Does a used Equus at this point still hold up? If it does, then it's worth the money. My concern is that because of that era of when those cars were built, I'm imagining that the miles probably, probably feels like 
it has twice the miles of whatever the odometer says. And if that's the case, then they probably aren't worth it. But I haven't been in one to say. I just saw one the other day. It, it caught my eye because they are just a little bit different. I, saw, I thought, uh-huh. what is that silver yeah. BMW? They're, oh, they're yeah. really interesting. They're very interesting. But you have to get in one and assess for yourself, for sure. They came with iPads, the original iPad with the owner's yep. manual on it. Of yep. course, that's you know, a little gimmicky and doesn't need to happen anymore. But I'm sure owners, you know snatch that thing. It doesn't come with the old iPad, but maybe it does. Okay, cool. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Let's see. What else? Oh, Bitter Car Guy just met an older gentleman at the supermarket with a single owner 1985 Volkswagen Rabbit GTI. The car has 89,000 miles, but the body, seats, and paint are in respectable condition. After talking for a while, he asked about the potential appraisal of his car. So you said, yes, it's worth about $3,000. I'll make you an offer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have I have that in cash in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Look, there's an ATM. Let's go do business. <laughs> he doesn't have kids or family that are passionate about cars like he is. He has all original documentation, receipts for all repairs. He assumes this car in current market condition current market conditions to be worth twenty thousand dollars, which is out of his budget, Bitter Car Guy's budget for a third car. But he gave him the link to bring a trailer where he thinks he could probably get a lot more than he assumed. But the question is, was Bitter Car Guy a fool for not giving him an offer on the spot? And what should older people that have cars with some collectability but no passionate family members do when they're trying to sell it? Ooh, some morality is involved here, isn't it? Some, yeah, this some morality is, comes into play. This is tough. First off, I, I don't know that that car is worth twenty grand. That's my first question. And the other thing is, the the difficulty here is, if he's the original owner and has all the documentation, he is probably also going to assume it's worth more than it actually is. And bring a trailer to prove him right. That's the problem. Bring a trailer (laughs) might completely warp the world again. Take that car and sell for more than anyone ever thought possible. But like my Mini Cooper had almost 200,000 miles and was the best taken care of Mini Cooper on the planet for a 2004. However, the owner had checked the market to discover that the most he could really charge for that car was five grand. Hmm. Now, in a weird bring-a-trailer world, he might have gotten a lot more for that. But the actual market value was about five grand is what he sold it for. So, I, mm, 1985 Volkswagen Rabbit, just because it's original owner and is in decent condition, low miles, and has the receipts, doesn't make it worth more than a Volkswagen Rabbit from 1985. It just doesn't. <laughs> It 20 grand might, for an 85 rabbit? It it what? might in the weird car world we're currently in, but I think you could have made him a legit offer for below that that would have been a legitimate offer and not taking him to the cleaners at all. Just but I so bring a trailer is the weird oddball here that makes that almost makes this warping be okay, but I think the hard part is you have to be able to to let your kids not be into your stuff. And I say that as a dad, and it's hard. Mm. You have, they have to be able to be into stuff where you're just like, I don't get it, and that's not my thing. But that can be your thing. And if you end up with a, a collection of cars, I, I almost feel like that you as the person that loves them, you need to sell them before you go. Because mm. if you if mm. you go... If you care, maybe you don't care. Maybe maybe you just you're going to drive them until you die, and then the family can worry about it. Here's my World War II tank collection. Seriously, what do but I do? But invariably, when the family sells them after you're gone, they let them go too quickly, too easily to the wrong mm-hmm. people. So if you, as an owner, as an older owner, don't have family that wants them, and you want them to go to certain kinds of people for certain prices, then you have to unload the collection before you go, which is sad. Or you have to accept the fact that when you go. The cars are just going to be out the door. Bitter car guy, I think you did the right thing. Because if you had made him an offer on the spot, like for 18, and the car, you sold the car for 21, you made three grand. Is It, it just doesn't feel right, does it? It, it just mm. feels like, okay, and three grand isn't life-changing kind of money. I hate to say it, but, you know, maybe. But I love that you pointed him in the right direction. And for market value, mm-hmm. you could have pulled up Auto Tempest on your phone and just said, hey, Let's look them up. Let's see. What are they going for? Yeah. You know, yeah. well, let's pull in some prices. That's market value. Forget the auction sites for the moment. The auction sites will <laughs> That's blow, not market value. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and maybe he doesn't want to deal with the auction sites and answering everybody's tire-kicking questions about the minutia of the name something. He'll get yeah. inundated, and maybe 
that's not the right thing. Bring a trailer, we'll show him, like, look, what crazy money you can get, but you have to mm-hmm. work for that money just entertaining all these crazy questions. I think you did right for, you know, pointing him in the right direction, but ultimately, you could also say, hey, you know, what are you looking to get out of it? Mm-hmm. Let's jump on the forums where somebody who will appreciate your car would love to buy it, and you f- you feel like you're coming away, and you, you know you think, well, I really just want about eighteen grand out of. If I could get twenty, that'd be great. Okay, that that's what you're looking for. Let's point you in the direction of, you know, the enthusiast community, help you do that. And like you said, then you, he knows the car will be going to an enthusiast, a good home, rather than just yeah, yeah. this is just an old rabbit. Who cares? You know, maybe to somebody mm-hmm. else, it's gonna be like that's gold. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then you know, once once you do that, then you'll you'll really feel like you've truly helped somebody. But also you could say, you know, that that person might say, well, I was really looking to get like 10 or 12 out of it, but I also need just an, a runabout. I need a reliable something, a Civic or, a, you know, something else. Oh, well, you know, it's not just always about the money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to paint a little bit of a picture, but you get what I mean. Yeah. And that is there's always the question behind the question. It's not about how much you're looking to get. It's what do you need? Why are you getting rid of this car? What are you going to after this? Or, you know, maybe you have three or four of them and this is your fifth. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, what, are you, what yeah. are you looking to get? What can I help you do? You know, friends, let me point you in the right direction, introduce you to the community, that kind of thing. I, I think that's what, to answer your question about older people that have collectible cars and no family members, I, I think that's the better thing. I mean, we as car enthusiasts, unless, of course, you want to buy it, and if he says, I think it's worth 20 grand, sure, offer him 20 grand, fine, great, you know. But, you know, we're, we're not out there to, to undercut people and, and try to, you know, snake it, but, you know, help them, help them feel like they've come away with a fair deal, too. Last question from me, and that's Peter, are you there? He said he has heard that the next gen or latest gen, the Mark 8 GTI and Golf R, are big improvements over the predecessors. Are we getting in them anytime soon? We have the brand new Mark 8 GTI. It's not that new anymore, but it's come out in the last year against the brand new Civic SI coming to season 10. So we're about to shoot that, and we're very excited to get in the new GTI and the new SI and put them together. Fat Ferret, last question for me, says both the BZ4X and the Fisker Ocean debuted last week. That BZ4X is Toyota's new full electric SUV. Kind of looks like a RAV4, but that is the 2023 Toyota BZ4X. It's poorly named. I mean, really? The BZ4X? What? <laughs> Name it something cool. They just clustered a bunch of letters together and went, no. oh, work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we can't go back to just the alphanumeric. And that just. It doesn't even roll off the tongue. That's not even in order. No. Nevertheless, look at the front end of those things. And it's what I've been talking about for a while, and that is Billy Idol's Eyes Without a Face song. When you look Mm. at the front of an electric car, there's no opening for air. There's no air intake. There's no grill because there's no radiator because you don't need one. So what do designers do with that front vertical surface, especially for SUVs? I love what Ford has done with the Mustang Mach-E because it still has a Mustang grill imprint. I actually like the first generation Tesla Model S because it kind of had a grill look. That was very relatable. Mm -hmm. But now, this is the future. We're past all that. And Mm -hmm. that vertical front of the BZ4X is a blank face. It's little thin eyes. And that's because of lighting technology. It doesn't have to be large anymore. It can be very minimalistic. But then you have this huge bug catcher area. Hopefully, I guess you put a license plate there, but still it's this tall thing. It's just weird paint, whereas the Fisker Ocean deals with it more succinctly. The proportions are better and different, and it Mm. still looks relatable. And I think that will need to continue for electric cars to get people to buy them. It's got to look like Mm. something you love. Even the Rivian seems otherworldly and futuristic. But if you look at the headlights, they're just a hot dog shape. That hot dog shape is used everywhere. It's a very relatable shape, very clean, simple, and they've brought the grill up enough to make it not look so broad surface. Here's the blank canvas. I guess I'll go smash bugs with it or catch some rocks. The front end kind of suggests a grill, even though they don't need it. You're right, yeah. 
So that's the difference. And even though I like Toyota pushing on that and I like that it has RAV4 proportions, the RAV4 is actually pretty good looking. There's a lot of interesting surfaces. Mm -hmm. And this is pretty out there, but I, mm, the front fenders look like black plastic cladding. It l makes it look like the base model. It doesn't differentiate enough because this is not an off-roader. Don't make it the cladding mm -hmm. around the wheel arches to suggest rock protection. M you know, I, maybe. But there's a lot of interesting shapes and surfaces that Toyota can mine for future designs that will stay fresh. It's just that vertical front end on both. That's the differentiator, and I think the Fisker Ocean does it better. Interesting. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. We really appreciate it. We're looking forward to sharing Season 10, which debuts January 1st, 2022. That is coming soon. We're almost yeah, wrapped is. shooting everything, and we are soon about to get into the new Civic Si, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs> 